Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 38. A conversation with Lynette Oliver and Michelle LeBlanc from the Valdez Adventure Alliance. I was really excited to get these two ladies on the show today to talk about what they all have going on up in America's 49th state. This is the first time I've been able to step out of the contiguous United States, aside from the conversation that I had with Felipe Proano in Ecuador, of course, a few episodes back. But all the other episodes have focused on what we all have going on here in the lower 48. So it was a real treat to chat with them about what they have going on in Alaska. The Valdez Adventure Alliance, or the VAA, is an organization based in, you guessed it, Valdez. And they focus on connecting the community and often connecting underrepresented communities to the outdoors. With words and phrases on the organization's website like improve physical and mental health, promote family building, and strengthen community, it becomes apparent that the community and connection are values that sit at the core of the Alliance's mission. I actually take a minute in the episode to read verbatim the main paragraph on their website's info page because it puts such a rich color to what the organization is all about. Lynette and Michelle give us some great insight into their programming, stewardship projects, and we talk at length about the upcoming Valdez Ice Fest here in a few weeks. And we wrap things up by talking about the Alliance's podcast that Michelle actually hosts and her experience doing that. But before we move into the episode real quick, I want to give you all a few more details about the upcoming Ice Fest. Michelle outlined some more details in the episode, but I'd like to also put a plug in for it here as well. It's a three-day festival that begins on February 18th and concludes on February 20th. Registration is $45 and is open until the day before the festival begins, so you can register up to February 17th. They're offering a whole bunch of clinics during the festival, and you will have to register for those separately. And they do sell out, as several of them already have, so register as soon as possible if you plan on taking a clinic. You'll have a chance to meet and learn from world-class ice competitors and athletes and hang out with the local folks from Valdez and a lot of other folks from around the world, I think, Lynette and Michelle said, people come in from all over the place for this festival. It's just going to be an all-around good time. So if any of that interests you, you can register for the event at ValdezAdventureAlliance.com. And there's a link that will send you straight to the event page in the show notes. Like I said earlier, it was a real treat to have this conversation with Lynette and Michelle. There was so much laughter and passion come from these two. It was just, it was just fun. It was just downright fun to talk to them. So let's go into it here. Please enjoy my conversation with Lynette Oliver and Michelle LeBlanc. Well, thank you both for making some time to come on the show today. I greatly appreciate it. This one took a little bit of extra planning given that we're chatting across three different time zones. That's that's the first for sure. Uh, Lynette, you're in Alaska. Michelle, you're in Texas. And of course, I'm here in Colorado. So... I'm so glad we got this arranged to take the podcast conversation outside of the lower 48 
and hit you guys in Alaska and chat about what you all have going on with the Valdez Adventure Alliance. Yeah, and thank you for your persistence in <laughs> staying <laughs> with getting this going. Oh, for sure. This is often, just scheduling is definitely the crux of the whole thing. It's just everyone's got different schedules, very busy. And once gets, once the conversation gets going, where everything flows very nicely. So it'd be great to learn some more about the both of you and what ultimately led to you both being a part of the Valdez Adventure Alliance and your respective roles with the organization. So let's start with you, Lynette, your executive director. And I, mm-hmm. I read up on your bio a little bit and you're quite the world traveler. <laughs> reading about your experiences was very impressive. Um, I, I've been the executive director for um, since 2019 because um, I was when I did the founding documents on it. Um, and I've lived in Valdez for the last 12 years. And um, 2018, I worked for an organization called Levitation 49, which is kind of like a little predecessor to this one, kind of, but that executive director left at end of 2018. And so um, then a group of us formed what's now Valdez Adventure Alliance in 2019. And I've kind of been the executive director since then. And I ended up with that because I have a pretty varied background in quite a different few areas of nonprofits, everything from like uh, legal work with nonprofits to um, working with museums and schools and things. And I, I, I have a, place in my heart for Valdez Adventure Alliance or I had this kind of work or I wouldn't be doing so much work on it. Um, But I've always had a connection to nature because I was raised on a farm in Oklahoma. And uh, so that's always an aspect that I'm bringing into the VAA that that nature is really important to me. And you mentioned the traveling. That's that's the adventure part. <laughs> I, I like adventure in any form. And I've been to um, <clears throat> all the 50 states and Canada and scuba diving in Mexico and snorkeling in the Galapagos Islands and Kenya and France and England and lived in Germany for three years. My son was born there. And I've done skydiving and fighter pilot for a day in vertical wind tunnel and centrifuge and a zero G flight with NASA and <laughs> so I like any kind of adventure. <laughs> Although yeah, so. at my age nowadays, I'm mostly just doing the trails with my dog, <laughs> doing the trails in Alaska with the dog. <laughs> uh-huh. And you're not a climber, is my understanding. I'm not a climber. Um, no, I like I said, I ended up in the position because I had a lot of experience with nonprofits and because I'm, I am interested in the nature aspect of it. And, but I really, really support, I, I feel strongly about our mission about um, getting underrepresented populations um, full access and really into the outdoor recreation uh, because, you know, there's, I just recognize there's just so much benefit for um, mental health and physical health and doing things with your family and your friends in the community. So, um, uh, not a climber, but totally support all the aspects of any outdoor recreation. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I had kind of an anecdotal thought here and through your extensive world travels and experiences, I believe that you've probably gained a special perspective on community and connection and given your immersion in many different cultures and walks of life, it doesn't surprise me that you're the head of this organization. And now I just found out you're the founder, one of the founders where connection communities seem to sit at the core and heart of what you all do. So yeah, it doesn't really surprise me that, um, that you wound up in this position that you're in now. And it's, I imagine it probably happened pretty organically. Yes. Yes. And Valdez is an exceptional community. Um, and so we have lots of support from the community. All of our board members are volunteers. Almost all of our work is done by volunteers. Um, so but, but it's a small community. There's only about 4,000 people total. So we're working on, and because, because our programs reach um, visitors from all 50 states to our ice climbing festival and our fat bike bash and our campground and uh, things like that, because we have visitors from all 50 states and sometimes other countries, uh, we're working on building the membership and the support 
system as nationwide. So, and people can already support any program from wherever they're located if they go to our website, <laughs> valdesadventure.com. <laughs> good plug, good plug. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks, Lynette. How about you, Michelle? Uh, looks like you come from a strong business background and you're a multi-sport enthusiast. I saw that you went to, uh, what was it, North Central Illinois College or University in Naperville? I'm from that area, so that's why I wanted to mention that. Yeah, I'm from Libertyville. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Tom Morello is from Libertyville also, right? Yes. Yep. He <laughs> lived down the street. Um, my sister has met him in downtown Libertyville. Like my other buddy has. And Adam Jones, the guitarist from Tool, is also from Libertyville. Awesome. Yeah. My cousins uh, were up there. So we would always take Half Day Road to um, oh, yep, exactly. <laughs> get up to Libertyville pretty much Love every it. weekend. Yeah. Wow. What a small Love world. Um, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got my um, bachelor's degree from uh, North Central. It's a small private college in Naperville. And uh, I grew up there. And um, right now I'm in uh, Austin, Texas, which is really an outdoor enthusiasts playground. Uh, we've got a lot of climbing here and um, a lot of cycling. So um, I have uh, done a lot of events and worked for a lot of nonprofits. And those seem to go hand in hand. Um, but my kids grew up climbing. Um, I started climbing when I was 18 um, in college, actually. And then, um, you know, so I've been I've climbed, you know, uh, all around the country. And it was really just a wonderful way to get to know how amazing uh, this country is, too. I mean, it is so beautiful out there in the world. And then I was lucky enough to take some uh, cycling training camps in Catalonia and in France and um, also in places like Santa Barbara and stuff like that too around the, the lower 48. So when this came up, I was thrilled. I Valdez is such a beautiful, beautiful place. And um, I mean, you're just assaulted by the mountains when you're flying into Anchorage. I mean, it's it's just absolutely a thrill to to be able to support such a wonderful nonprofit organization. That's great. Yeah, I uh, I, I went to Alaska for the first time this past summer. My wife was uh, doing some work for a couple months over in Dillingham, from Bristol Bay, and yeah, I got to meet her in Anchorage and drove around to uh, Seward and Homer. And uh, our trip unfortunately got cut short, but um, it was it was spectacular. And yeah. You are certainly assaulted by the mountains <laughs> when you fly in. I love that. <laughs> um, I, I got to ask, I, you know, I don't think Alaska is really known for its rock climbing, but I know there are crags sprinkled throughout the state. And when I was in REI in Alaska, I did see a guidebook for the rock climbing. Like, Any thoughts, any insight or beta on what the, the rock climbing is like in, in Alaska? Either one of you could take this. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just interviewed uh, Kelsey Gray for our podcast, and he has written a lot of the books for climbing in Alaska. So I'm curious if you don't have to, if you don't have, know off the top of your head, I'm curious what uh, what climbing book it, it is um, that you, you that know, found. I don't, yeah, I don't recall. We He's have got, that one, and we use it as a resource, and we loan it out as a resource, but I cannot think of the name of it right now, and it's in the office, and I'm not there. <laughs> but, he's got several books, actually. Yes. And his, so he's got his, his – uh, what is it? The Nomad, like something like um, – reinventing the nomad or something like that as his publishing company. And um, yeah, it just kind of almost started from like a dare. And then the pressure got to be so great. He had to, <laughs> he had to follow through. He was like, why don't we do it? And then somebody's like, yeah, why don't we do it? And then it became, why don't you do it? And then it, all of a sudden it's just like, well, where's the book? And so, yeah. And then um, he's got several poetry books too that are out there, but he does not only the rock climbing scene, but the ice climbing scene too. So there, I believe that there are, are some ice climbing books also available? Um, I think on his website, but then also if you're like at Alaska Rock Gym or someplace like that, or in Valdez, um, then you can you can find them. We have locals who will attest that we we do have some good climbing, <laughs> rock climbing in Alaska. You you might have to travel a little bit for it, but um, our locals Eric Christensen and Corey Mallet um, climb 
here and all over. And um, Marcus Garcia has come and done rock climbing for us and instructing. And um, back when uh, Levitation 49, the, the uh, kind of a former organization was running an event called Rock and Flow, which kind of like had some rock climbing activities and some yoga activities. And it's kind of cool, but the problem is that the rain is unpredictable. So <laughs> uh, we might be able to try to do something like that again, but I, you know, I don't know. The, the rain is, can be a real problem in Valdez. Yeah. I think the ice climbing is, is the popular sport just because more, so many more months are icy than they are um, temperate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And our bridal veil falls and horsetail, our, our waterfalls that freeze up are just stunningly beautiful. I bet. Yeah. So you have, you all have a bridal veil, bridal veil falls as well. Cause yes. I'm not far from Telluride and there's one, there's a famous one there too. Yes, there is. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. If you Google bridal veil falls, like 15 of them come up. Oh, or totally. Yeah. That's a common name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Let's, uh, let's jump into the Valdez Adventure Alliance a little bit more. And before I uh, have you all introduce it a bit and talk about the programs and things, I really want to share a paragraph on the website that, that explains the core of this organization. And it's just, it's very eloquently written. And it's, I mean, some of the words in here are like poetry. So I'm not sure. I'll, I'll give credit to whoever wrote this paragraph, but if you allow me just a, a minute or two to, to read this, to give the listeners what um, some context about what the VAA is all about, I'd love to do so. So here we go. Um, we strongly believe in nature therapy. Our goal is to bring this to those who will appreciate it. One might say people who need it. Our focus is teaching through play. We are strong encouragers. The events and resources that we provide help people find the satisfaction of self-accomplishment self through effort of climbing, of riding bikes, of hiking, of trail building, of immersing in nature. We encourage people to allow themselves to surrender to the flow of the vast beauty of these mountains in, in the Prince William Sound. Our objective is to be a resource for people to find deep happiness and health outlets for themselves in ever trying times. Whoa. <laughs> like the, the surrender to the flow of the vast beauty. Like that that hits deep. That is amazing. Well, thank you. I'm glad I'm glad you dig it. Um yeah, I mean, I you know, as far I I just this really I have to admit it's it is just what being outdoors has been to me, you know, I mean, it is a saving grace to, you know, you forget when you're, um, you know, sitting at a desk all the time, or if you're in an urban environment or a suburban environment, and everything, you know, is just system systems. And, and when you get out into nature, you see that things are wonky, and there is a wabi sabi to it, and you're fitting into this. And sometimes you're alone. And like, it's just the the sounds that you hear and the things that you can see or the feelings that you feel, whether it's wind or whether it's coming from within or whether it's, you know, just tree bark. I know it sounds super cheesy, but I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just really fantastic. And I think that not enough people um, get to go there and uh, mentally, you know, or spiritually. And, and it mm -hmm. is a spiritual thing. And by spiritual, I mean, uh, simply the way that you feel like, what is, how, how are you feeling today? You know, are your spirits high, you know? And I think that when you're in, um, when you're in nature, it's, it's hard not to feel that way and it will challenge you. And so when we take these like little bites, like ice climbing is a bite of mountaineering. It is not the full deal. You know, all of these little things, bouldering, rock climbing, they are a portion of a whole. And when you're just like, you know, if you're, you know, uh, these days you can go to a gym, but like when I was growing up, you couldn't go to a gym, you know, there was no gym. Um, so we were always outside and we were always like picking up, um, as much as we could. And, you know, when you, um, are faced with that task, you're in this instant meditative state because you can't focus on anything else. You're not going to be, it's too easy if you are. If you're thinking about like, you know, what you're going to make for lunch tomorrow, then whatever it is that is the task at hand is too easy 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. But when you're like, you know, um, lead climbing something that is maybe just at your level or you're riding that edge, you're, you're focused fully on where you're at right in the present moment. And I think that that's a rare thing for humans these days, especially, you know, in, in a quote unquote first world society. So that's where it yeah, comes from. Yeah. I love it. So you're the, you're, you're the author of that paragraph. Michelle. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. I'm a big cheese ball. <laughs> uh, I love it. I, I'm a, we're on the exact same page. So I love it. Um, you hit so many points that, that resonated with me and why I value being outside. And um, I get to work outside for part of my job. And I always wonder, like, put my hands in dirt or fixing mm -hmm. some barbed wire fence and like what what is actually going on in my in my brain like what sensories are firing just yeah. being being able to walk outside and do that for work it's 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 incredible yeah we're very lucky yeah well let's jump into the programs first here and then we'll follow up with some uh, stewardship talk and uh, let you promote the ice festival and some other events and things afterwards so what kind of programs have you all created to help improve the physical and mental health and promoting family well-being and strengthening community there in Valdez. Valdez Adventure Alliance kind of inherited some of the basics of some activities from an earlier organization that I mentioned, um, like the Ice Climbing Festival and the Fat Bike Bash uh, and some of the parks and some of the trail work. But we've been working really hard to develop them into real programs and to get them to better serve like a greater span of the populations, uh, which is Michelle works on, but it, it is work to really, you know, reach out to all of the different um, populations, subpops of people out there, uh, like the black indigenous people of color, other minorities, economically disadvantaged, youth, women, physically challenged, and those subgroups, they, they have clubs that are in Alaska, but even still they're, you know, um, they're trying to do their own thing also. And so, I mean, we try really hard to reach out to everybody just to make sure that they know that the resource is available um, for the Valdez Ice Climbing Festival. Um, I certainly did reach out to Indigenous Women Climb and to um, brown girls climb and to there's a uh, color of the crag, but, um, but, uh, I figured, you know, if they're, if they're rock climbing, they might be ice climbing too. So we started a, uh, like a scholarship fund, um, called connect, and it is really just to support, um, those who want to be able to have the experience, um, but may not be able to afford it. And we just want everybody to know that they're welcome to come and we don't want the finances to be a barrier, you know, so as much as we can help, we want to be able to help. And this year too, we've got an adaptive climbing program that we're offering. Um, there is an adaptive uh, group that is in Alaska that um, two of our instructors um, have reached out to from, uh, they, I believe that some of them go to Alaska Rock Gym uh, regularly. <clears throat> and then there's also another group, which is indigenous youth. It's called ANSEP. And they are another group that uh, att attends programs or creates programs over at Alaska Rock Gym. And so we've been in touch with them as well to try to invite them to come out. So hopefully, fingers crossed, um, COVID also is a huge barrier. Um, but, you know, at least they know they're welcome and uh, they've been invited and they can reach out to us as a resource. Yeah, I was curious what that what the turnout or engagement has been like after you reach out. Have you seen success uh, connecting with these groups? Or are you still kind of in a holding pattern to see what the, the return rate might be on that? Well, in general, we have seen a good uh, turnout. Um, so we're anticipating um, a really good time at the Valley's Eyes Climbing Festival um, next month. And... Um, we're, I think that it'll be just the right amount of participants. Uh, we're a bit over 100. Um, it's not huge. Uh, it certainly has been bigger in the past, but I think that this will be a good number to um, keep everybody busy and engaged. Um, 
we have a lot of women that have been reaching out and um, applying for the scholarship, and it is fantastic. I don't know, um, you know, how women have been historically perceived in climbing, mountaineering, and ice climbing, except for what I hear, you know, and we've all heard Lynn Hill talk about um, her challenges and, um, you know, it's, it's a, and I've heard from some of our instructors as well, you know, as far as that goes and some, um, some of our applicants for Connect. And it's a funny thing because you, if you're a, a guy, you know, you have um, maybe some physical advantages and so when you are a woman, you have to be better than the best. I mean, it is a, it's a strange thing. It's like if you or if you are any marginalized community, uh, community member, you know, you have to be not only good, but you have to be outstanding to get some recognition or to break past a barrier. And, mm -hmm. and it's a perception. It's a funny thing because it's an invisible barrier. Um, it's very different than a monetary barrier, for example. Um, so uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty excited by it. I'm pretty excited by the number of women that have reached out and the number of women that we have um, leading uh, clinics this year. So that seems to be our biggest um marginalized population that, that we're seeing a turnout from this year. When I first came on in the first couple of times through the Ice Climbing Festival, I one of the things I noticed was that, um, like, we have fabulous reps. Loa and things will come down and bring boots and things, but boots in and harnesses in the small sizes for the women and the youth are very difficult to come by. And so we've been working on actually building up a stash of those in the VAA for uh, us to be able to loan out to the women and the youth when they're coming to the event, to the ice climbing festival. But they, they're they typically not carried in the stores, and you might be able to hear anyway. Uh, so you might be able to like order or special order or whatever, but if you're just getting into it, you don't really have 400 bucks to drop on a pair of boots or, or if you're a parent and you're buying for your kid, they're going to outgrow them or something. So even just access to the gear can be a problem. Oh yeah. It's very costly. Um, so yeah, we are super grateful for all of the, the folks that have, um, stepped up to, to help out in that area. Absolutely. Um, we've gotten some, uh, sponsorship dollars from Alieska pipeline and, uh, the CVACF, um, specifically for, um, youth and women's gear. And then LOA as well has been just absolutely phenomenal, um, stepping up to help out with that sort of thing. So, and it is so That's expensive. Fantastic. Yeah, it really, it really is fantastic. Can't, can't say enough. Also, these these ladies and uh, some of these folks, you know, they uh, they don't get sponsorship like maybe some of the guys do, too. So and I, I realize that a lot of sponsorship is in like if you want to be an amateur professional athlete is is what I'm referring to. So have either of you seen that newish uh, documentary on Netflix, The 14 Peaks? Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. And and Nims, the, you know, the main character, the climb, the main climber in the movie, you know, he he said something along the lines of what you just mentioned, Michelle, about uh, if it is, you know, his accomplishment, if it was done by a Western climber, an American climber, right. or you know, a Canadian, whatever, it would be plastered all over the headlines. But this Nepalese gentleman who's just off the off the radar, yeah, no one's heard about it. Oh, no one knows God. what he's doing. Right, it's crazy. Yes, and then. Um... Yeah, it was really and not until uh, Jimmy Chin and Conrad Anker got involved and started sharing just some of the things that he was doing and what he was up to that it really just started to snowball. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, because think about how many Nepalis, I mean, they live at that area, you know, and they, yes. they're, they've been Sherpas for, you know, 100 years. And who are they? You know, say their name, you know. 
Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you mentioned that barrier, uh, so to speak, of being better than the best. And, and I, yeah, it's just like this made up thing. It's just arbitrary. And it whoever, is. whoever, however the society kind of developed that is, is mysterious to me. There's been an <laughs> ongoing battle in cycling for sure, because, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I never I always knew like and play, paid close attention to like Tour de France, you know, and like who is wearing the polka dot jersey this this time or whatever. And <clears throat> it never occurred to me that there were that was a man's only race. And it wasn't until um, I got to talk to Catherine Bertine and read her book that I realized just how real that barrier is um, between men and women. And, you know, being somebody who just competed for fun. I didn't have to feel that burden. But if you are a pro man versus a pro woman, I mean, it's the difference between making a living, you know, and having that be your job. And you have your trainer and you've got your mechanic and you've got your masseuse and uh, versus, you know, um, having to put together your own bike at every single race, you know, I mean, and doing everything yourself and having no masseuse and sleeping in a church basement. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I never would have wanted to like, mm, boycott something like a tour de France or like, maybe there's equivalency in climbing. Although I will say that, from everything that I've been hearing and seeing lately with um, with things like being a professional climber, um, you know, that it is, it's probably there. Like, I, I would wonder what the percentage of uh, professional explorers are that have been turned down for jobs uh, when they were qualified just because they were a female. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question is. I don't either, but I imagine the narrative is similar. Is the same? Yeah, yeah. I think I would think it's similar, the same along. Yeah, the same kind of context. Yeah, I would. That would be my guess. Wouldn't surprise me. With uh, with such a small staff, but a very robust board and an advisory council at the VAA, uh, how do you all work together to coordinate these efforts and these programs? Do you have certain people on the board and the council that are particularly skilled in things of like stewardship, education, programming to help in these specific areas? Michelle and I both wear <laughs> a lot of different hats all, each. All the hats, yeah. <laughs> all the hats, right. So, um, but we do have excellent support from the board and and locals. Um, so Michelle and I kind of divide the work, but of course there's always um, overlap and we're in constant agreement and contact about it and things. Uh, I tend to, I have a back, I have a degree in science education and um more than three and a half million dollars in grants that were focused on stewardship and education and related programming. So I tend to focus on the grants and the program development. And because I'm physically here in Valdez during the spring, summer, fall, um, I manage the uh, boots on the ground kind of aspects for our other programs that include like uh, campgrounds and a glacier wreck site and cabins and trails and things like that. Um, but there is some overlap. Michelle is the one who wrote and got the this fund grant for the video for the stewardship. And uh, our board members do tend to, they, they all participate in everything, but they do tend to have specialties. It's like our, our president has had success in running nonprofits and um, um, Jim kind of does our maps and is our specialist trail and Robin does our um, presenting at council and data entry and things. And Oh, they're great. They're just fantastic. I mean, you can see pictures on the website of like Jim and Pete out there, um, you know, chopping down some uh, brush in the trail and stuff. I think that they are having way too much fun, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, yes, boys playing with chainsaws. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Is access and trails and, you know, and so that's, we're, we're thrilled, you know, and then Robin too. I mean, she's, she's out there participating in all of the things. Um, Renee Ernster does our, um, the, 
winter, the grooming uh, on our for our, during the winter, and she's our liaison for the snow machine. Yeah, well, like on on the snow machines. Yeah, there are some tough tough ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! Is she uh, is she grooming for fat biking, uh, Nordic skiing, both? Um, we groom one of our trails, Shoot Bay Trail, during the winter, and it's just kind of a rough grooming. So, pe- but people do uh, walk it and snowshoe and bike it, and it's one of my favorites to walk in the winter because it's just stunningly beautiful. And if you get far enough out, you get to the the beach. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And last year for Fat Bike Bash, we had the uh, we had like um, kind of an unintentional ski joring happen. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> it it was, was really cool. There was yeah, some, what, what happened with that? Well, some ladies brought their dogs with, and they happened to have like uh, like sled uh, harnesses. So they took turns and and took their dogs out, you know, and it was just perfect. And so they they sort of skate skied, you know, around. Um, you go down to the beach area and you do a, like a circle loop and then come on back. But uh, Lynette's right. The trail is just gorgeous. Our our board member, Don Bickley, who's our AV and photography board member guy, he got some fun, you know, some cool videos from above. And then we also have Corey Millett, who's um, kind of our, um, he's our community liaison to the climbing community and he's a instructor for the ice climbing festival and helps out there so yeah they all they all participate in everything but they they do also each have kind of like unique skills or interests Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it sounds like a nonprofit. just being willing to step out of your silo a bit where your special area is and and wear that different hat or help out here help out there and i work for a nonprofit as well so i completely get that that dynamic I only talked about what I do in the board members. M- Michelle has a ton of hats, including our CFO and <laughs> and obviously the events and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah no. I I think Lynette and was exactly correct that we split up the duties. And you know sometimes I'm glad that um, I am not there, uh, sans events, um, just so that I am not pulled away because a lot of the times, um, you know, I had to get a new chair because I was sitting at the desk so much just inputting data, you know, (laughs) but you know, it's all good. You all are involved in in improving and maintaining, maintaining recreational infrastructure, work on some stewardship, on some trails and things. And is there a particular project that you all have worked on in the past that you're uh, particularly fond of and would like to share the details on what was all involved with that? I mentioned that I love walking on Shoot Bay Trail. That one's in uh, downtown Valdez. I, I like walking on it in the winter. But our our favorite project that we just finished up is uh, Berry Trail. And it's kind of a favorite of mine for several different reasons. It was specifically requested by the climbing community. So that makes it kind of nice. And it, they wanted it because it connects two different climbing areas that there wasn't there wasn't a trail to connect those two before. Uh, but I also love that it's in the Blueberry Lake campgrounds area that we manage. And so that adds a nice little feature to that campground. And it means that it can serve hundreds and hundreds of people and who are not necessarily the climbers. In fact, um, the trail goes in order to connect the two sites that actually we added a a little bit of having to add a little more distance so that we could actually go down to the lake and around the edge of the lake so that it's also used for fishing or um, or just the walking. I love to just walk it because it's really pretty and I will frequently just sit down and watch the water just lap on the shore because I love the ocean, but I'm from Oklahoma and this kind of reminds me of the like the, the little lakes and ponds in Oklahoma. So nice. that the the Berry Trail is just has a special place and and also because that we're we're rehabilitating Shoot Bay Trail but the Berry Trail we we had to do from the very beginning which was really really difficult. So it's kind of like you're you feel like extra super special about this um totally new thing here. 
Yeah. You you mentioned someone earlier, I think, that uh, might specialize in that with the maps and kind of trail stewardship stuff and design, maybe. Was that gentleman involved kind of designing this? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. And, um, of course, when we submit things for grants, um, we typically have to submit maps and things with them also. Right, Uh, right. And we have to get approval through uh, the Department of Natural Resources before we even submit for a grant. And the, the grant actually for the Berry Trail was from was from the Access Fund. And <laughs> we ended up having to do it over t- two years instead of the one because of, you know, COVID hit and we were, so we didn't, it was hard to get enough volunteers. And, you know, we started out with not the right equipment that we needed. And so we had to get all the right equipment and, like I said, it's really difficult. We're in a boreal rainforest and the alders just are everywhere and they grow along the ground and trip you while you're trying to <laughs> cut the <laughs> other things. And then, you know, and you cut in June and by uh, the end of July, the vegetation is up again. And when I wow. mean, when I say vegetation, I mean, we have this one plant called Devil's Club, which is every bit as bad as it sounds <laughs> with these <laughs> massive thorns on it. It's absolutely terrible. And then, and another one called wild celery, which um, produces a chemical that, that causes like burns and re- burning and rash. <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> trying to cut these trails. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's gotta be special. Just kind of, as you starting from scratch, uh, building that berry trail, uh, just with the design and everything. And I was curious what kind of approval you might need or environmental processes you might have to go through before something gets approved. And you mentioned Alaska's uh, DNR. Are there any other land managers that you might be working with uh, to complete these projects? Most of the time it's the DNR and then a few other um, aspects of the parks and rec thing, like the, the permitting and things that are that are kind of like separate departments, but all interlinked. Well, one term that was coming up on the website was uh, ice stewardship. And it kind of caught my attention. I'm like, ice stewardship? Like my, I guess, just uh, neophyte or novice uh, thought on this was I, I, just, I couldn't understand maybe, for the lack of a better term, of what, what you all mean by that. So how does the stewardship of ice differ from trail stewardship, if anything? Sure, yeah. Well, for one thing, I think that just this explosion of rock climbing in the last – I don't know, 10 years or so has just, you know, people are topping out and they're turning to ice climbing because that's the next frontier in these little bites of mountaineering that we're learning. And, um, you know, the popularity of like the Michigan Ice Festival and the Bozeman Ice Festival. And then people have told me that there are, so there are like indoor rock climbing gyms, right? People are making, um, like ice climbing things at carnivals and at, um, you know, I mean, it's interesting. This, you know, has become this thing. And whenever um, that happens, then you get more people that are coming. And if you, if your only experience is doing, um, doing it in a gym or doing it at a carnival, um, then you go out into nature and you're like, okay, well, you don't realize, so you can't leave your Oreo package, you know, on the ground or bring up, you know, (laughs) or like, you know, you can't just throw you like a non-reusable water bottle. Like to me, it's this unheard of thing. And whenever I see like somebody at a picnic or something and there's all these water bottles i'm like ah but i mean you know if you're just used to uh these single use items and that's that's your that's your where you're at where you're, you know and so we need to meet people where they're at and um so as more and more people are learning ice climbing then there are all kinds of things i mean already um uh, any trail builder is going to say, please, you know, stay to the trail, right? But now if you are talking about going into a snowy area, there is life underneath the snow that's hibernating also that could be damaged. And it probably is not something that is first nature to people. So ice stewardship 
means everything from a something like like that, like staying on the on a trail, or it could mean something as very serious as a safety issue. Because if you are new, you might not know if the ice is fully formed because you just don't have that experience yet. You're building that experience, you know, and you could start climbing on something and best connect best case scenario, you damage it, right? Worst case scenario is that you take a fall, you know, and mm -hmm. you don't get up. <laughs> yes. And in some of these areas, they're very remote. And that could be a very uh, challenging situation, something that nobody really wants to, you know, experience. It, it's much better to promote ice stewardship and the education of ice climbing than, um, and, and have it sort of be out there so that we can talk about it and have conversations and make it more like common knowledge than um, to just uh, assume that people will will know about these these small details. Right. In the rock climbing scene, uh, of course, there's the constant of, of, and actually, I guess, if you're hiking far out on trails too, educating the public about human waste, <laughs> not to leave human waste everywhere, that that can create a problem by the time you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people through a certain area. So. Right. And not only human waste, but pet waste too, because, you know, um, having a crag dog is a pretty popular thing too. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I was watching Real Rock uh, 15 and they had the black ice, um, segment and it was just wonderful for the folks that like there was an outhouse but then they also had like the little uh like your portable toilet <laughs> that you could bring with you <laughs> and i was like these guys were looking at this because they came from memphis and they were like never seen anything like this before in their lives you know like oh my gosh i have to poop in this but um but it's you know it's so there are so many great like uh products that are, you know, it's compostable, it's pack outable, um, you know, and then that's just, you got to do what you got to do. You know, a lot of people don't know about um, National Outdoor Leadership School. And if you take any clinics from them, they will tell you, you know, this is how many, you know, meters or feet you need to be from a water source to even take a tinkle, you know, much less it, learning about uh, digging your own latrine and keeping a little, you know, spade with you <laughs> when you go out hiking. Just for the record, <laughs> we provide porta pots at the ice climbing festival. We're not going to make you <laughs> right, right, right. True, true, story, true story with toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Also, um, <laughs> two different years, one woman brought her goat. Uh, oh wow! And <laughs> and because that um, our permit doesn't allow parking up in the canyon area where the climbs are we we bus our participants from downtown up to the climbing areas and so um, the bus driver was just ecstatic to have this goat on her bus and she took <laughs> <laughs> photos and put them on her facebook and showed her kids and <laughs> I love it. that's fantastic a crag goat well, you know, that's one way to get rid of all of the brush around your area. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need to do, Lynette, is we need to invest in some goats for the trail building. So the trails, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are states that that do that for certain areas. They, yes. Yeah. <laughs> goats mow the lawn. Yeah, they'll they'll have goats like I think like do noxious weed control. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I think it's kind of a historic uh, land practice, land management practice. I just have to co convince the board members why we need to buy a herd of goats. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a tough sell. I, I, I'd be happy to have them. You know, I'm from the farm. I I could do that. I saw a crag duck back in November. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, this girl showed up with a duck. Was it on a leash? I yeah, that's my question. It might have been on a leash or in a backpack. I can't remember. Oh, but everyone's like, "Look at the duck!" I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. that was a new one. I've seen the crag cat. Obviously, yeah. seen a million crag dogs, but yeah. the crag duck—that was a new one. Maybe the next thing we'll, I'll see is a crag goat. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Real quick, do you farm any ice, or is it all natural? Oh, it's all natural. Yeah, there is no ice farming allowed on uh, the state 
land there. And so all of the climbing that we're going to be doing is going to be on state land and we get a permit to climb there and have the, the festival. And, you know, that's not to say so that ice farming is a bad thing. Um, you know, it's just that if you are going to ice farm in an area, make sure that all of your ducks are in a row, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. I mean, because I mean, I love working with her. We can get a laugh out of anything. I told you I was busy. (laughs) But I mean, think about you, Ray is all farmed ice, you know, and um, I was talking about when I was collecting uh, information from people, other people of like a vast variety of people, uh, what, ice climbing means to them you know um ice farming was farmed ice was a way that some people uh learned about ice climbing and that was the only way that they because they maybe they lived in a flat area you know like michigan or something like that and so um having uh an icy telephone pole was was their uh way to climb to learn my uh, my good buddy he's a he's an ifmga guide and i was walking down the street the other day and he was he was climbing his tree he was getting he was kind of getting his tool swinging and nice. and everything back in practice and he's got this board up against his uh his tree there and he's just like top roping his tree in his front yard yes yeah <laughs> and that that's another thing too is uh so also from winter wildlands alliance i've got a video that i'm planning on releasing sometime soon uh hillary eisen who does i think she does policy for them and she sent me a video um of herself in her backyard and she had like a like a setup like what you're describing um like a wooden structure uh and so dry tooling is another thing about ice climbing um if you go dry tooling uh there's you know different tools that you would use like say in a gym or on your wood or or whatnot or if you are going to do mixed climbing you know you have to you have to be considerate of the people that are going to come and rock climb that and not just tear it up so yeah another aspect you were talking about the the guy using the board and um for our intro classes the first half of the day is what we call kind of like ground school and it's just start from the bare basics like you know nothing and we have boards for them to put on their crampons and walk across the boards and make sure they get everything fitted right and feel comfortable in it and uh so yeah. and then in the afternoon they go out onto the ice so yeah yeah the that, intro. this is part of the ice fest mm-hmm. yes okay gotcha the intro clinics have been very popular yeah for sure well, yeah, let's jump into some more Ice Fest stuff. I want to let you get the plug in there. It's, it's happening in a few weeks on February 18th there for a few days. I'm curious, when did it start? Why did it start? How has it grown over the years? Could you put some more uh, color to the Ice Fest there? Lynette, you want to talk a little bit about the history? I mean, it seems like it's gone back to 1983. Yes, I think. I think that's correct. I think that's correct. And then I think at that point, it was kind of like just a informal thing and some volunteers and it kind of grew in um, size and things. And then I believe that one of the main reasons that that Levitation 49 organization was founded was to get insurance to help cover the event as it got, um, you know, as it started getting bigger and so then um and i i know that they ran it from 2016 to 2018 but uh and then valdez adventure alliance took over the ice climbing festival in 2019 yeah yeah when it was unofficial um they were using somebody's mom's backyard apparently and there's like all kinds of like just legendary you know bonfire stories and they were burning these pallets and yeah i don't know if you've ever been to like a christmas tree burning where like the (laughs) they get to be like epic proportions right yeah Yeah. and so um yeah and you know these guys uh were just out there doing their thing and i think that it was just you know you can you can feel like the history and the stoke and you know it's just really uh soulful 
you know, and um, it's hard to make that transition to something that's more formal. Um, right. But that's that's kind of where it led to because of uh, just the beauty of the area, the population, the word of mouth. Um, so that's that's kind of where we're at these days, trying to do the best we can with what we have. Yeah, I mean, it looks very robust. I mean, the, the list of athletes you all have uh, attending, who I assume are probably helping put on the clinics and things. Uh, one such person as Kendra Stritch, yeah. who I had on the sh- I had on the show. I don't know four episodes ago, I think something like that, four or five. Cool. Um, yeah, the list of athletes was really impressive. I was scrolling down the screen, and then the list just kept going. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, what's their role at the Ice Fest? They are fantastic. I'm. I'm just you know, uh, so grateful that each one of them are able to be there. Um, Marcus and Liam were recently in Yahoo Sports. I sent them a link also because apparently there was like some epic route that finally they they snagged that they had been working on for a long time. And, uh, you know, these are uh, world-class competitors. They're competing all around the world, um, you know, uh, Don Glantz has been in, yes, Dawn. Yep. oh gosh, she's just so admirable. I mean, Mixtress is, you know, probably dating her right now. But um, if you go on YouTube and watch Mixtress, it is just phenomenal. And um, the climbs that she has accomplished or first ascents, I mean, are just really, you know, so amazing. And um she deserves a lot of credit for the work that she's put into it. And uh, so I'm just grateful. Um, all of them. I mean, I'm glad that we have Carlos Bueller coming and um, Ryan Vashon, I think is how you say his last name. Um, you know, and uh, Kevin Lindlau and uh, Kate, Katie McKinstry. They are in a film called... Um, Kevin in the cave. And so that I believe takes place. It's a Nathan Norby film and I believe it takes place in highlight Canyon. Um, but that's pretty cool. Mixed climbing. We're going to show that film, uh, Saturday night and, um, yeah, just really, really, it's going to be a fun time. That's great. So a bunch of clinics. Do you put on a competition like they do at the Urais Fest, anything like that? No, no, cl- no comps. Um, okay. Just purely educational. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to change, or, but for right now, we've got um, it's just purely educational. Yeah. Let's come out, have a good time kind of thing. Sweet. Well, I will find uh, Kevin in the cave and Mixtress on the on the YouTubes and throw a link there in the show notes for people to check it out. I'll definitely check out them myself. Do you want to uh, just do you want to just put like a, a specific plug for the event, like dates, times, where to register, all the, all that good stuff? Sure. One of the um, little trial things that we're doing this year is we have climbing happening on Friday uh, before the orientation. So we've got um, Kendra Strict and Katie McKinstry that are going to be out there as well as some members of our safety team. Um, so we've got climbing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, Saturday, Friday night, we have an orientation Saturday night, we have some social events. Friday night, we've got some social events also happening at Valdez Brewing. Um, Saturday social events, I believe, are going to be at Puddle Jumpers and the airport. And uh, tickets can be purchased by going to ValdezAdventure.com. All right. Is there a deadline to register? Or can you register up till February 17th or 18th? All the way up to February 17th. Okay. Good got question. It. All right. Well, Sweet. Yeah, I'll make sure to, to blast that out for, to everyone. And uh, you also have another event, the Fat, the fat Bike oh, yeah. Bash. Do you want to give a, a real quick uh, snippet of that? Yeah, I'm super excited about the Fat fat Bike Bash. Um, that's going to be also around the airport. It's going to be at the Valdez Glacier Lake, and it is absolutely stunning to ride. Um, it is so much fun. And uh, Rich Lofton is our chair for that, and we're going to have the same area for both days, Saturday and Sunday. Those are competitions. Um, We do have a five-mile fun and fat ride, though. Tickets for that will be on Bike Reg, and they come out February 27th. Um, I would say about the Ice Climbing Festival that the clinics do tend to fill up 
so if there if you want to get a specific clinic sooner is better than later because we can't guarantee that they won't max out that is true we have a lot that have sold out already okay all right i'll make sure to mention that as well all right, we're going to kind of start putting a bow on this and wrapping up a little bit before we do, though. Um, I definitely want to give a plug for the VAA's podcast. Michelle, oh. you're the host of that show. Yeah. Uh, what what prompted that idea? Where did that come from? And what's that experience been like for you? Well, thank you. Yeah, for asking. That's right. Um, it has been a pleasure to do it. And it has been a way for uh, Valley's Adventure Alliance to be in touch with people um, around the globe, really. Um, you know, it's a remote area and we are um, just trying to stay in touch or to reach out to people and to give perspectives from either, you know, our audience base or um, like minds. And um, it's been just great, you know, uh, to be able. So like, it's a good way too for people to get to know some of our instructors. Um, I've interviewed uh, Marcus and Don and Kendra and Carlos. And um, I've always been inviting people uh, Kelsey Gray, who is the author of some of the Alaskan ice climbing and rock climbing books is also on there. Um, but then we also touch on some more serious issues. Um, I have a friend that I use my fat bike to teach uh, cycling lessons for people, adults that have zero uh, cycling um, abilities yet. And uh, one of my friends has uh, been a policy person um, on race. And so we had a conversation. Uh, the one that I will be releasing tomorrow is going to be from a uh, representative of athletic brewing. I also know her through the cycling world. And so we're going to talk about just dry January and how like you can find alternatives. And also like sometimes like if you're doing something like focusing in your head on like race or um or alcohol consumption. Those can be like something that you maybe aren't talking uh, casually about. So if you can maybe hear some people uh, offer their perspectives or have a dialogue about it, then it can supply some answers. I hope that, does that answer your question? <laughs> Oh, 100%. Absolutely. That's, that's a great example of what one of the conversations has been like for you. Or well, yeah, um, that should be releasing soon. And I know athletic brewing is really starting to blow up a bit. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty curious and checking it out. Um, awesome. I am. Uh, I like, you know, I like to have some beer. Right. <laughs> I think it tastes good. And I have, uh, I have some friends that uh, do not drink, but they're like this. This tastes like an IPA. It's so like good. This, this beer is good. Yeah. And um, you know, Alex Johnson's been uh, sponsored by them, I believe, and promoting them a bunch. And yeah, I think what maybe what you're alluding to there is just kind of this marriage between sport and drinking. Yeah. And there might be yeah some underlying issues or concerns or deeper thoughts that you can maybe have about why those two go hand in hand, or maybe why they exactly. shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, think about like the old, like, uh, I don't know, 1800s Tour de France or whatever, um, or early 1900s or whatever. They, I mean, it's like the whole shanty thing started because like they would stop, you know, they've got yes. like this 200 mile bike ride and they would stop like halfway through and like that would be their carb uh, loading <laughs> you know so yeah, drink, totally. drink beer <laughs> well i've i've heard it re i've heard that be referred to as like the original doping right like going to have some drinks pain relief know, pain relief yes. numb the pain a bit have a few glasses of wine whatever and hit the hit the road again <laughs> yes 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 and now we're learning that you know this is not the best uh recovery drink <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and then especially in the pandemic, I think that uh, it's been, you know, it's been an issue also, like alcohol sales mm -hmm. have risen and people have started to question their own selves. And I think that a company like ABC has really uh, been able to supply a great alternative where you can relax, you can kick back, you can open up that nice cold can of beer and you don't have the repercussions. Well, I'll be, I'm, I'm really interested in listening to that episode. And when it comes out, I'll definitely be tuning into that, Michelle, for Thank sure. Thank you. Cool. 
Well, final question here. Uh, in 2021, I asked every guest uh, what their definition of advocacy was. And I'm looking to switch it up a bit this year. And I'm really glad I had you two on to start off the year because you all made a concerted effort. You got, you got a video on, on your website about it, about what ICE stewardship means to you. And we definitely touched on it a little bit earlier. But if you have like a one to two, three sentence definition of it or of what you've heard from folks in the Valdez community of what ICE stewardship means to them. If you want to share that, I would love to hear. We pay a lot of attention to um, environmental reviews. We, you know, we conduct like environmental reviews. We pay a lot of attention to any of the permit requirements. We caution people with the safety things uh, and like not going off of the trails and things. We don't allow parking up in the canyon uh, because it's it's creates too many problems for the ice. Um, so it's a, a lot of it is doing our part as the host, like I said, about dealing with the permits and reports things and back to the state and stuff to track all of that. But a lot of part of it is educating people that um, once they know about it, a lot of them are, are willing to, oh, yeah, that's why I need to stay on this trail or use this place where we've already put in the ropes or not park in the canyon or whatever. So the, the educating component is really important. Yes. And one of the things that came up, um, which was surprising to me, um, was kindness people being kind to one another um, because there is a there I know right I thought that was really great um, and and you'll see that on the ice stewardship video uh, that comes out that we'll be releasing pretty soon too is you know we've got people just saying you know the reason the whole reason that we're out here is because of the love of the ice you know and so know that whoever you're you're meeting is there for the same reason so be kind to each other you know, there's a lot of education. There's a lot that we all need to learn. And um, there's a way to deliver that information. There's a way to receive that information. And so just just a reminder to, to do that with uh, an open mind and an open heart. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you begin, that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year. And after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org. So check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way. And I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch you all next time.